in the scripture reading, first of all, we'll read the 27th Psalm. The 27th Psalm. Psalm of David. Psalm 27 is our first reading. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me, and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger, Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Again, we ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of his word, and may it indeed be applied to our hearts. Now, turning to John's Gospel, the Gospel according to John. And uh, the twelfth chapter, sorry, the eighth chapter, the eighth chapter, and reading from the twelfth verse. Chapter eight, and reading from verse twelve. John's Gospel. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come, and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I 
and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury, as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and ye shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself, because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I say therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake of them, sorry, he understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so reads the inspired word of God. Now in the passage that we just read, that's the 8th chapter of St. John's Gospel, in the 12th verse, that was the first verse we read in that passage, we read these well-known words, words of our Lord himself. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, somebody said this, they said that uh, Jesus Christ was and is his own great theme. Jesus Christ was and is his own great theme. And really, we're saying, uh, the person who gave that, gave that quote, first of all, was saying that our Lord, in his message and in his life, really, is full of himself full of himself, full of words and truths, revelations about himself. And if anybody else was living their life like that, full of themselves, 
forever talking about themselves. Well, we would say, well, that's rather an exceptionally proud individual. There's somebody we may shy away from and not want to get too close to. And yet, our Lord Jesus Christ, in all his humility, in all his tenderness and so on, in all his approachability, nevertheless says so much about himself. And he makes tremendous claims about himself. And this is one of them that's there before us now. Imagine somebody that we know, or could imagine, saying, I am the light of the world. What a claim. And not to just stay there, but to say, go on and say, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. And to go on after that and say, but shall have the light of life. No ordinary man, no mere human being could ever speak like that. Because we know we're all brimful of imperfections. And not one of us, even the very best of us, could ever say, we are the light of the whole world. Well, what, what a claim that is. And anybody that didn't uh, follow us or whatever, trust in us, would be walking in utter darkness. Now, I didn't say this. It was said by somebody uh, far above me. But they said, well, those people who claim and say, we've heard them, well, they say, I respect Jesus Christ as a great moral teacher. But I cannot, cannot in any way believe he is the son of God. I can't believe that. They say any reasonable person looking at the Gospels and his life will say, yes, the greatest moral teacher in the world. Well, we'd all agree with that. There's ever been and ever will be. But to say at the same time, I am the light of the world, or I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, or all those other wonderful things he said, I am the bread of life, I am the water of life, all these things. Well, that would put him, if anybody we've heard said that, he would put them on a level with a, with a lunatic, wouldn't he? Or somebody who was going around saying, they think they're the emperor of China or something like that. Well, these things, we can think about them. So here is this great statement that our Lord is making here. I am, and we notice it begins with those words that in scripture are regularly and specially used in regard to God in all his glory, the great I am. He begins using that. I am the light of the world. Now, the next thing we may say is this. Always remember when reading the Bible to put it into context. You, you heard that a thousand times, I'm sure. But it's true. And it's right that we say when we come to a passage, words like this, well, where was all this happening? What was going on uh, here? And um, we find out if we, if we read around this, that this is going on at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, famous, well-known Jewish feast, and that that feast came to its great climax, the most important part of that feast, 
was the, the going up to Jerusalem and the lighting of the great lamp in the temple, which those who know about these things uh, said it was so strong, so bright a light that it illuminated the whole of Jerusalem. Well, maybe that was an exaggeration, but that was the idea of it, that it was a tremendously bright light, as far as they were capable of at that time, and uh, it shone uh, a great distance. You couldn't miss it out. It was a great light. And, of course, it was there, reminiscent of bringing to mind the fiery, cloudy pillar that had led the Israelites all their journey through the wilderness, going before them. God in the midst of them, it represented. God guiding them, God protecting them. It, it was all there, reminiscent of the greatness of God. And there, that great lamp was lit. And the people remembered, supposed to remember all these things and praise God. And in the midst of that, in the context of that, our Lord says, I am the light of the world. How astonishing. Fancy saying that. You can imagine uh, how they must have felt and how they must have reacted uh, in such circumstances. Here is this man who many of them perhaps had known. His uh, earthly father, if you could call him that, you know, Joseph. His uh, stepfather, however we describe him. And they knew his mother, Mary, the Virgin Mary. And they knew that uh, Joseph was a carpenter. And they knew that our Lord Jesus grew, grew up in a carpenter's shop. Uh, and they knew that he, he hadn't been to any of the great schools of the, the rabbis and priests and so on. He'd never passed through anything like that. Uh, this was just an ordinary man as far as they were concerned. No doubt They'd seen and heard some of the things he was saying, but they knew, is, that, is not this Joseph's son, they said. And here he is, claiming to be the light of the world. They would dismiss it in a moment. But on the other hand, perhaps in their most minds and hearts, they couldn't dismiss it. Because never man spake like this man spake. And they couldn't but have remembered that in the beginning God spoke and the worlds were made. Let there be light and there was light. God spoke all things into existence. And would not the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ, yes, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, yes, veiled in flesh, but nevertheless there must have been something in that voice. That was reminiscent of, or was an echo of those great words at the beginning. All the same words on Mount Sinai that gave the law. Something of that in his voice. The same voice that commanded the winds and the waves to be silent. The same voice uh, that called devils out of people. The same voice that healed so many people. All that they couldn't help but realize or think, even though they perhaps tried to dismiss it. There was something about this man that they could not turn their eyes away from and so on. So here is our Lord saying, I am the light of the world. We read it in the Psalm 27, that's why I read it. The Lord is my light 
the God of my salvation. And uh, beginning with those words, I am, as we mentioned, this is a declaration of his divinity, if it's nothing else, isn't it? You know, what is God? Who is God? Well, God is light. You know, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And here he is, our Lord Jesus, saying, I am the light of the world. And they only had to look at the things he was doing in the miracles we just mentioned to get a glance at that. You know, in St. Paul's Cathedral, there is no monument to the brilliance of Christopher Wren. (laughs) No monument, no statement that says, this great cathedral was built by the genius and ingenuity of Sir Christopher Wren. It simply says this, if you seek his monument, look around you. And these men, if they had looked around them, could see crystal clear, aboundingly, astonishingly clear, who our Lord Jesus was and is. So there it is. Christ, the light of the world. Now, as believers, we believe that. And as believers, we know it in our own experience. Did not Jesus Christ, Christian tonight, dispel the darkness of your heart? First of all, he shined a light into the inner recesses of our hearts, our consciences, our minds. That light, you could say, came as we were reading the scriptures, or somebody was preaching from the scriptures, somebody was declaring the truth of Jesus Christ, and a light began to shine in our hearts and minds. We began to think, perhaps, seriously, deeply, who we were, what we were, in that same light, revealed to us. You've heard it before, but it revealed to us that we were sinners. But we weren't the people we really thought we were. We may imagine we're quite handsome till we look in the mirror, and the mirror was shone into our hearts, was it not? And it revealed the hidden recesses of those minds, the hypocrisy, the darkness, the selfishness, the cowardice perhaps, the sinfulness, the lustfulness, all the various sins that lurk within us. And we saw, we saw we were not the people we thought we were. And then that light began to shine a bit further and we knew Uh, that we weren't right with God. And maybe we tried to put ourselves right with God. You've heard this before, but I say, we tried perhaps to mend our ways, but we couldn't. And then, of course, this light shone and we saw Christ as the, the only saviour of sinful men. I looked to Jesus, says the hymn writer, I looked to Jesus and I found in him my star, my sun, and in the light, that light of life I'll walk till travelling days are done. We look to him as our lamp. We do look to him as our lamp and our guide. Every Christian does that. Christ the light of the world then, moving on a bit further. Many kinds of darkness in this world 
abides as a little children's hymn. And it does. There is, and we could have a great long list here, so I won't go on. But there is the light, or the darkness rather, the darkness of spiritual ignorance. Is there any darkness of spiritual ignorance in our country today? Well, I'm sure everybody says a resounding yes. There is darkness on every hand. There are so many churches that are dark that they won't be preaching from the Bible perhaps tonight or they may be preaching a distorted view of the Bible tonight. And they may be not mentioning Christ as the only Savior and they might not be calling men and women to repent and believe the gospel. There is that kind of darkness. Many kinds of darkness in this world abide. And so wherever there is darkness, but we sometimes ourselves have dark moments. Uh, one thing that haunts everybody, I dare say, is the darkness of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, said the psalmist. And we all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But just as Jesus Christ disperses, chases away the darkness of sin, at the same time, he chases away the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death. Death shadows us and ours, does it not? We could be anxious about everybody if they're honest, fears death. But the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us through him, death is a defeated foe. The death of death in the death of Christ. He died. He rose. He conquered death. Burst the gates of death, burst the gates of hell, when he rose again from the dead. And where in this world would you find words like you find in the First Corinthians 15? Uh, where should I re start reading? I, I don't know. Perhaps verse 22. For, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The defeat of death. And it goes on, doesn't it? For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. For when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is thy sting and where grave thy victory? We know Bereavement is a dreadful thing. We know all that. But here, in reality, death is a defeated foe. Simeon knew that. Now let us, thy servant, depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. For thou hast prepared before the face of thy all people, before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. Yes. That is that. The influence of light. Light cancels sin. The light of Christ. The work of Christ. The blood of Christ. Conquers death. And throws light on the true meaning of life itself. It was Florence Nightingale, you know, all those years ago, that discovered, realized, that put sick patients in a place where there is light, 
not some dark, dingy room. If there is light there, they will recover much quicker. It will aid and help recovery. Light. And if we're living all our lives in the dark, we are going to be quite unhealthy people. Maybe some people can do that and cope with it. But generally, if we are denied light, then we are not as healthy as we should be. And of course, if we're in this world walking in the darkness, <laughs> if in this world we don't have the light of Christ, then spiritually and morally we are unhealthy. We are not realizing our full potential by a, a thousand miles, you may say. Christ is the light of life, indeed. We only really start to live when we become real Christians, and I mean real Christians, and the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart, and the Scriptures become the guide of our life. And when we know our sins are forgiven, and we're reconciled to God, and we're on our way to heaven, and we have a purpose, and we have a meaning, and we have a goal, there is an energy, there is some significance comes to our life, blessing, satisfaction, that you find nowhere else. Nowhere else. It was a French engineer who asked his um, students, what is the most important thing to come out of a mine? What is the most important thing to come out of a mine? Is it gold? Is it silver? Is it coal? What is it? Well, he said, it's the miner. It's the miner. Well, it is. He is the most important thing to come out of a mine. Human life is precious. And that human life is precious because, you know, why do we regard, just let me go to an aside for a minute, why do we regard human life as precious? It's because we're taught it, it's emphasized, it's brought to light in this book, the Bible. And why is it that so many today don't regard human life as precious and they destroy their lives on drink and drug or all manner of things that they shouldn't be doing? They don't realize the preciousness of life. There is a downgrade in society generally uh, uh, regarding the value and the worth of life. People are treated terribly and so on. But the thing is, when we know Christ, we find the true value of life. Christ throws light on all these things. And then you could just broaden it out a bit further. What is, what is better than a, a family of people? Family, husband, wife, children, whatever. A, a, a household that honors God. What, what, can, what, can be, what can be better than that? It, it, it is a wonderful picture, isn't it? Uh, we, we don't all enjoy it. There are bad times, I know that. But if, if you don't have a family where that honors God, and there were the parents, and honor thy father and thy mother, and so on. Children, obey thy parents, and all that sort of thing was there. It wasn't there till Christianity came on the scene. 
These are sort of things we should keep reminding ourselves when people say, oh, society will just go on fine without Christianity, you know. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to have these beliefs. You don't need the Bible. Society will just go on in a normal way, in a good way. We don't need all this. That's what we've been saying for the last few decades. But you know as well as I do, in precious things like family, the value of life and so on, it's going down and down down. It was very much down before Christianity came on the scene. Here's a quote. The word family to the ear of a Roman meant, as somebody put it, a multitude of idle and corrupting slaves kept in order by the threat and use of the most horrific and cruel punishments. It meant a despot who could kill his slaves when they were aged or expose his children when they were born. You, you know about that. You left them on walls and let crows or something eat them. Terrible thing. It meant wives among virtue was rare. Divorce was frequent. Remarriage easy. And who for no stronger motive than that of vanity sacrificed the lives of their infants yet unborn. It meant children, spectators from their infancy, of insolence and cruelty, incivility and sin, a Roman family. Maybe they weren't all as bad as that, but that is how somebody characterized families, so-called, in Roman times. How the words of this book, the light of Christ shining from this book, as it were, lifted the whole value of family life. We've already mentioned... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And to have the Lord being our shepherd in life, directing us through all the changing experiences of life, is the most wonderful thing. It it was wonderfully, again using the same word, pictured out in that which I said was behind this uh, statement of our Lord, the fiery cloudy pillar of the Old Testament. Those people on their journey, imagine they're on the journey of life. And there is the fiery, cloudy pillar going before them. And uh, it tells them when to stop, and it tells them when to go forward. And it gives them light by night, and it gives them protection by day and at night, you could say that. It's a very symbol of the presence of God there in their very midst. And they were going through a wilderness, remember, a desert. And they were going through very, very hard terrain, very hard experience, a lengthy experience. And there was this cloud of the protecting love of God there going before them. It is a wonderful picture. And if Christ is the light of our life, then that is fulfilled even in these modern days. The Lord going before us, the light of his truth, the light of his love, guiding and directing us. Because we ourselves will easily go astray. I mustn't easily go on too long, but I'm just checking the time. But uh, if we were left to ourselves, where would we end up? If we didn't have the light of the word of God, we didn't have these things. A meaningless life. I've often used that... uh, picture of uh, Beckett and his uh, 
is play waiting for Godot. You know, Godot is is a kind of a representative of some kind of meaning or something. It almost uses the word God, but it it doesn't get there. You see. And at least two tramps, you remember, and, and they, 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 it's a play. It must have been a very cheap play to make because it's only got two characters in it. And these two fellows come on and they, they pass conversation and uh, they're both waiting for something. They're waiting for Godot, but it never tells you who he is. And then they have these conversations, they do this and nothing happens really. Nothing happens. This is a picture of a futile life, really. They talk and they talk and they get nowhere. And then one says, well, I think I'll go. And then the other says, well, I might as well go as well. And then they walk off the stage and that's it. You think, why did I pay good money for that? But the idea of it was really to just say the futility of life. If you have no beliefs, and certainly I don't know whether he intended us to realize if one has no beliefs in God or not, but that's what it's a picture of, really. A futile life. Oh, with the excitement, excitement here, maybe there, and something like that, something to look forward to here. But ultimately, we're in the dark, nowhere to go. And you know, if you put a plant in the dark, it's not going to grow, is it? It's going to wither and die. It'll change color from its green and healthy state. And it will come to nothing. Put it in a cellar. And that will do it no good whatsoever. And without the light of the world, who is Christ, that is a picture of our own lives. Oh, there are many philosophers around us, aren't there? There's this ism, there's that ism, there's this sort of theory and all the rest of it. But all these philosophies are supposed to have so many answers and great results following them. If we'll only follow these things and abide by them, it will be great. But it won't. Because there is no light of God in the midst of them. And they will like the plant in the dark wither and die. And the same thing could be applied to sociological theories and ideas. No doubt some of them have some value. But we've heard all kinds of ideas of late. And where have they got us? Deeper and deeper into the mire. Light is the great revealer. Light, you see something in the dark. Well, yes, that's all right. But then you see the light. And great artists knew about the value of light and shades and all this kind of thing. That's how the difference between a, a grand painting and something of an amateur, isn't it? Getting all the lights and shades and so on in the right place and so on. Light is the great revealer. You could use the example of um, a sculptor thinking of art. You know something by Michelangelo. Michelangelo's David. And what does he see? Well, he sees a great big chunk of rock. Stone. But he sees beyond that. With the light of his enlightened imagination and artistic skill. And he sees this piece of rough stone. Could. With a few chips here and there. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm sure much more than that really. But, uh. Soon it could be 
that magnificent statue of David himself. Well, to see the potential of things. There is that hymn, isn't there? Something lives in every hue Christless eyes has never seen. You're walking through the world and you don't see the significance of things. You don't see the beauty of it. You don't see the potential of it. But when the light of Christ shines on it, then you see these things. Now, I'll be careful what I say here. But they say, over and above the parliament, high up there, when the parliament is sitting, there's a light. It's called the Ayrton Light. You may know that. And when the Ayrton Light is shining, the parliament is sitting, and the, government, the, the government's there, and they're ruling wisely over all events in the land. Well, that's why I say I'd be careful what I say, because it may not be absolutely true. <laughs> you know what I mean. But uh, in theory, the land, when the light shines, the land is being peaceably, quietly, and properly governed, in theory. But where the light of Christ shines, there our lives and nations are being wisely and properly and kindly and justly governed. Christ says, I am the light of the world. And so we could go on. Christ is pure light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I come to the end, but I, a quote here from Phillips Brooks. Preachers don't often quote him these days, he was an American. He would be around in the latter part of the 19th century. But I came across this that he said. He said, the life of Jesus Christ is the illumination and the inspiration of existence. Without it, moral life becomes a barren expediency and social life a hollow shell. And emotional life, a meaningless excitement. That's a good word, isn't it? So many people living for meaningless excitements. Emotional life, a meaningless excitement. An intellectual life, an idle play of stupid drudgery. Well, somebody I heard the other day was saying politicians these days are nowhere near as brilliant as they used to be. Do you agree with me? Well, I didn't say it. I heard somebody else say it. But... Uh, is intellectual life in this godless society of ours at a very high level? Are there really brilliant minds finding answers to difficult, difficult... Well, you may say, yes, there are in some spheres. And one would have to admit in medicine and some fields like that, there have been very significant, very wonderful discoveries. But in general... There isn't that much genius around. Am I, am I being unfair? But you have to say, periods where the gospel has been prevalent have been periods of great advance right across the board of life, everyday life, and uh, all kinds of areas of life as well. Anyway, I'm still reading from Phillips Brooks. An intellectual life, as I just said, an idle play of stupid drudgery. Without it, the world is a puzzle, and death a horror, and eternity a blank.
without the light of Christ, life, the world, is a puzzle. Death, a horror. And eternity, a blank. Well, light can protect us. We know that. And light can cheer us. And perhaps finally, finally, light invites us. Does it not? We see a light. You're a wanderer in some barren land and you see a light somewhere. You see, your cars run out of petrol to bring it back to everyday life. You're in the middle of the countryside. There's not a soul about. But you see a light in a house down the road. You think, ah, I'm head for there. But light does invite. And this same saviour invites us here to follow him. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What an invitation and what a promise. Well, I won't say any more. Um, I probably can't find it. No, I'm not going to say it. Oh, yes, I'm going to say it. Here's a hymn that nobody knows. But uh, Francis Ridley Havergill. Light after darkness, gain after loss, strength after weakness, crown after cross, sweet after bitter, sight after mystery, peace after pain, joy after sorrow, calm after blast, no hope after fears, home after wandering, praise after tears. And all those promises are ours in Christ who gives us light coming after darkness, the darkness of unbelief into the light of faith and hope. And may we all be in the good of that invitation and know the same Saviour who is the light of the world in his name.